0: what are you talking no 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 take that back
1: i work all day to pay the rent before the money's earned well it's all been allocated i got nothing on my plate but i wish that i were fat nine more gallons and i'll have me a hat Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Style Guide Podcast. I'm Dave Morris, and with me, as always, is my good friend across the country, Stephen Orr. How are you today, Stevo?
0: I am doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself, Dave?
1: I'm doing really well, and uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm on the recovery. I'm recovered. I'm recovered now.
0: See, our our adoring fans have been waiting to hear more about that, and so it's uh it's good to hear that you're on the mend.
1: Yeah, I'm a hundred percent.
0: You're a hundred percent
1: ish ish, <laughs> ish yeah.
0: <laughs> As you cough.
1: As I cough, yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good. Uh and today we are talking about another fantastic Canadian who is well over 100% and that is of course Rick Moranis. Rick
0: Moranis, everyone.
1: The great Canadian sensation.
0: So for the those of you who have forgotten who Rick Moranis is, you know, Ghostbusters, Little Shop of Horrors, Spaceballs, Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah,
1: some of you may know him as Frederick Allen Moranis, but not many.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I didn't even know his name was Frederick.
1: Yep, yeah, Rick is short for Frederick. In this case, in this case.
0: Okay, well that makes sense. So uh, yeah, we've decided to follow up our Nicholas Cage with with a study of the the filmography of Rick Moranis and the the style of uh, of his work. Yeah,
1: and uh, and. His actual, like, uh, filmography is much smaller than people might imagine.
0: It is. It is. In fact, when we when we first set out about doing this one, I thought that we were going to be watching a bunch of obscure films. I thought that he had kind of fallen off the radar and done just a bunch of B-movies. But it turns out, no, he fell off the radar altogether and pretty much stopped uh, stopped being in films.
1: Yeah, and we'll get to that and why in, in a little while. But... uh But um, when it comes to Rick Moranis, he has very few lead roles in films and mostly a lot of like little sort of
0: cameo bits. Yeah, which which is kind of funny because there was there was a period where he his face and kind of the Rick Moranis character was was something that he he felt he was renting out. He wasn't doing films for the sake of acting. He was doing films because they wanted the Rick Moranis character.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, if you look at his most famous roles, like Ghostbusters, he is a small part in that film. He's not one of the leads. If you look at The Flintstones, I guess he's one of the leads in The Flintstones.
0: Well, but even then, he's he's not he's not predominant. Or he's he's definitely not John Goodman.
1: Yeah, he's not Fred. He plays Barney. Yeah. Right?
0: Or Honey, I Shrunk the Kids even, right? Like, the, I remembered that movie very differently. I, I thought it was a movie about the parents trying to find the kids, but it's actually more about the kids' adventure and the parents happen to be background characters.
1: Mm-hmm. Even though his name is the name that sells that franchise, like when they went on to do the sequels, his name was the name, Rick Moranis, but it actually is more about the kids, the first one.
0: And which is why the second and the third end up being all about... Wayne Zelensky.
1: Yeah, we blew up the kid.
0: That's one of those examples of sequels that say, well, we can't do the same thing, so how can we do something similar but totally different?
1: Yeah, just how can we use this name to make more movies? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, my first introduction to Rick Moranis, I think, was Ghostbusters. I think that was the first I ever saw of him. And then when I was a teenager, we, we discovered Strange Brew and Bob and Doug McKenzie from Second City Television.
0: And, you know, I think I think my trajectory was the same. My, my dad probably would have, you know, uh, put Ghostbusters upon me at a relatively young age, and that would have been my first introduction. And maybe I saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids before I ended up getting into Second City Television, but Um, very, very similar sort of trajectory.
1: Actually, I think you're totally right. It would have been... Strange Brew would have have been when I was more of a teenager and and started getting more nostalgic, as you do. Um, And so it would have been Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and then um, probably even uh, um, Spaceballs.
0: Oh, man, Spaceballs.
1: Before really finding the, the... the start of his career and how hilarious and wonderful and and cheesy and beautiful it was in Bob and Doug McKenzie.
0: Well, and that's one of the things that I I find so surprising is that of course, of course, Rick Moranis came from comedy roots. That makes a ton of sense. But I I had this vision of him as a, a somewhat serious actor who did children's films as well, like children's comedy, but. No, and he, his roots were, were there next to, you know, John Candy and Martin Short, right, doing, mm-hmm. doing Canadian co- Eugene Levy, you know. Yeah, they, sure. They all got their start in the, in the same little period.
1: Yeah, and actually the, the fun thing about Rick Moranis, uh, fun fact about his start is he didn't start out uh, at Second City like everyone else. He was the only cast member of SCTV who came just from another route. You know, he was friends with Dave Thomas, who does the, the Bob and Doug McKenzie with him. And he I think he was like a radio DJ or something for a while, <laughs> Rick Moranis. Uh, and then his buddy got him into SCTV, and that's where he sort of just started. He didn't go the route everyone else went.
0: I didn't know that. That is that is kind of uh, surprising.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I remember hearing that Rick Moranis was the only Second City TV cast member who did not go through Second City. And he's just a funny guy.
0: Well, and and for me, he is an icon of SCTV. He's probably the first one that I think of.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, if not the first, then one of the first that comes to mind. And he, yeah, he will, he's not a second City guy. Hmm. Yeah, and actually the Bob and Doug McKenzie bit was when the show got picked up by the CBC, I think. I was just reading all about I was reading all about the history of the Second City TV cuz it's fascinating to me um and it's part of what I do so it was interesting but that um it was only after they got picked up by the CBC that they had to do uh Canadian content right and so because of Canada's Canadian content laws they created these like hosers, these two very stereotypical Canadians, to fill in the Canadian content section, which I think is hilarious.
0: <laughs> and that is a great way to get by the CanCon regulations, which which can be <laughs> yeah. moderately absurd at times. But but at least they they had fun with it and and had yeah. uh, these two hosers come on and. Yeah.
1: And so, because of Canadian content, they made fun of Canadians so much. That now some words that I don't even think were associated with Canada are now associated with Canada. Like hoser. Is that really a Canadian thing?
0: I, I thought that that was like a Minnesota thing.
1: Yeah, I have no idea where that came from. All I know it from is Bob and Doug
0: McKenzie. Canada is such a weird, you know, younger sibling to the United States. Like, our are. Are making fun of Canadians is making fun of people from Minnesota. Like that's <laughs> yeah. that's what we do when we decide. Because for for me, the thing that I love about Bob and Doug McKenzie is that's not a vision of Canada or Canadians that I have ever even remotely thought was Canada.
1: Yeah, it's almost like they they uh, and I think they even were making that for Americans.
0: That's yeah. Like,
1: for Americans to watch and laugh at funny Canadians, because I think the the show was pretty popular in the states as well. Like it 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 did well, uh, and so it was like they were making Canadian content for Americans, making fun of Canadians.
0: <laughs> absurd, absolutely, wonderfully absurd.
1: Yeah, and uh, and still like it, it is an iconic Canadian comedy moment. And like I still think of Bob and Doug McKenzie's The Twelve Days of Christmas, I think they called the Twelve Days of Beermas. I don't remember what it was called. I just remember that, like the the on the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a beer, <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> like that, and, and then they go through, and it's all just about beers and stuff like that. Uh, it's pretty pretty funny.
0: So, uh, so is that is that where we're gonna start? We're gonna start with the Rick Moranis of the the very early Strange Brew years, and and work our way through.
1: Well, I mean, the early Strange Brew years was pretty close to the early Ghostbusters years, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, it's true. They were basically made back to back for him. Yeah, which which is a even even stranger sort of trajectory to think about it. Like, you you take, well, actually, now that I think of it, um, when when I look at Ghostbusters and I look at Dan Aykroyd and Bill Mo- Murray, they're both uh, Saturday Night Live alumni, right?
1: Was Dan Aykroyd a Saturday Night Live the no night? I feel like. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, yeah. Oh yeah, he totally was. He did the Conheads thing. Yeah, right, yeah, right. They both were.
0: Well, and and so I was going to say that it, it's weird that you take, you know, this SCTV guy and these two actors, but no, That now that I think of it, they both came out of very similar circumstance or they all came out of similar circumstances. It was just Canadian, uh, the Canadian comedy circuit or the American. Yeah, totally. So maybe it's not that weird that Strange Brew was made with, uh, right after or right before Ghostbusters. Then never mind.
1: Well, I mean, and, and uh, Harold Ramis, who wrote Ghostbusters with Dan Aykroyd, I think, is also their their Second City alumni as well from Chicago, which means they would have just known Rick Moranis through SCTV and the whole Second City kind of community.
0: Well, and and that's the way you know a lot of the a lot of the early early comedy circuit is. It was it was very not tight-knit community, but everybody did know each other.
1: Yeah, sure. Sure, sure, yeah. Yeah, so Ghostbusters.
0: I mean, Ghostbusters is one of your all-time favorite films. How'd you know that? I, because I've had any conversation with you ever in the last yeah, decade. Yeah. <laughs> it is a fantastic film.
1: <laughs> and uh, and I think the role that really did... Because Strange Brew, as wonderful as it was to... Uh, us Canadians as like a cult classic film because Strange Brew was not very popular I don't think and I think still is considered pretty obscure but Ghostbusters definitely not and would definitely fall under like Rick Moranis's blowout into the big screen like that paved the way for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids.
0: Well and it really paves the way for the Rick Moranis character. in In, in that film you see you know the the kind of sad sap, pathetic character that he is going to play variations of for for the rest of his career.
1: Yeah, adult nerd.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, adult yeah. nerd before nerd is cool.
1: Yeah, because Bob and Doug McKenzie didn't really set that adult nerd character. It was actually a very different character. He was playing a character.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was he was playing a character there. He he was, and 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 you see that really strongly. Whereas in. Once you get through things like Ghostbusters and Little Shop of Horrors and and Spaceballs and that sort of stuff, you see, you know, you, you do start to see variations on it. But it's all, I mean, they're all the same character again and again.
1: Yeah, uh, probably all the way up to like the Flintstones.
0: Well, and, and Little Giants and, you know. Uh,
1: little Giants? Uh, wasn't he still kind of an adult nerd in Little Giants?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean.
1: Yeah, but like Flintstones is where he kind of shifts a little bit into Barney Rebel. But like we'll get to there when we get to there. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Ghostbusters really did solidify that Rick Moranis character and style. And uh, I don't know if you knew this, but he wrote lots of his own lines. He did. Uh, or I shouldn't say wrote because I think he just rewrote them. You know, like he would take the line and play with it and make it funnier to himself. Uh, and that was sort of like he could get away with that and things like Ghostbusters and, and Spaceballs and stuff like that. But uh, I think as it went on, he started... And one of the reasons he stopped wanting to do movies is because they wanted him to just say lines. And that wasn't what he liked. He liked comedy. He liked making jokes. He liked uh, writing things.
0: Well, and in a lot of ways, it seems like he has the the heart uh, of... I mean, I, I don't want to say the heart of an improviser, but definitely the heart of a creator. You know, a, lo- a lot of actors are... Are very comfortable just becoming a role that someone else has has created for them, and and he he wants to play with a role until it becomes his. Well, he
1: wants to make it his own, yeah, and not just like that sort of actor way of just like ooh, say the words, make them feel real, but like actually change the words and make them his own words.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 it makes sense. I mean, some of the some of the best lines in in Ghostbusters come from from Louis Tully. And uh yeah but he he's a, he's a creative guy and you can tell as like in
1: recent years or I think maybe recent might be stretching it within the last 15 years he wrote a comedy album of country western songs.
0: <laughs> you you were telling me this before and I I hadn't gone out and listened to them and just hearing <laughs> hearing him him sing his version of comedy western music is just so strange. It's
1: so strange, but it's it's actually pretty funny some of it. And it's I mean, I think that my least favorite part is that it happens to be country music like which I'm not super jazzed on. I don't mind country, but it's not I'm not jazzed on it. So listening to it it's like, "Ah, oh, it's country music, but the lines he sings are actually pretty funny." And he did a whole album of country songs and you can find them on YouTube, I think, and just listen to them. They're pretty funny. Uh but it just, you know, goes to show that he
0: he just likes making stuff. You know, who 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 hasn't
1: written an album of comedy songs?
0: OK, Dave, you and Rick Moranis have both done this. <laughs> yeah. And and it's really unfair to those of us that don't have any musical ability yeah. to just say that that's a <laughs> universal <laughs> skill.
1: Everyone who's listening to this podcast, if they haven't written an album of comedy songs, who, who the hell are they? Who who are you people? <laughs>
0: they're they're my people, Dave.
1: Uh, they're your people. All right. But he's a creative guy. That's what I'm trying to say is that he he's a creator. He likes making stuff. Uh, and and so, like, uh, uh, which explains why he started to, and I think did through his whole career, if you look at it, was pretty picky about the movies he did. He didn't do lots and lots of movies. Un- he's the opposite of Nicolas Cage.
0: He is in just about every way the opposite of Nicolas Cage. Um, yeah. Uh, he, I mean, I can imagine Rick Moranis making making a decent foray into, into drama and, and taking on a bunch of more serious roles. I actually can I think I think it would be interesting to see him do it, but mm-hmm. he would only do it if he could have that same sense of play that he has in comedy. And, and I, don't, I don't think that that would be much, that that would be uh, very available to him.
1: Yeah, and he is like, a, he's, he's selective. He, he's an artist. He knows what he wants to do and he does that. Like, uh, I think when he was asked about Ghostbusters 3, he first was like, well, is it good? Like, I don't know. Like, is it any good? Is it going to be good? Uh, But then at the same time, it was like they wanted him to come in and do like a cameo or something, do like one day of shooting. And uh, in an interview, his response was basically, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but something like, why would I go in for one day of shooting on something I did 30 years ago? How does that make sense? And that was his response. So it's totally like he, he's moved on. You know, he he's moving forward. He's looking to the future, things he wants to do, things he wants to make, and that's what he's focusing on. And he he likes making stuff. I can totally relate with that sensation. Whereas Nicolas Cage, I think, just liked doing stuff. <laughs> like, I don't think he cared much about what he was making or doing. He just wanted to do stuff. Like a movie, yeah, let's make a movie
0: well and and rick moranis uh i mean it you get the impression that he made a bunch of money in the 80s and 90s and and walked away relatively wealthy and and has largely been you know living living modestly off that wealth which is such the anti hollywood story yeah you know it you you don't get the impression that he went out and and bought you know action comics one like like Nicolas Cage did, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, he 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 had a very different set of priorities with what he wanted to get out of it.
1: Yeah, sure.
0: And I think, and, and now we come to the sad part of the podcast, I think that has to do with the death of his wife.
1: Yeah, I know. We were going to have to get there eventually. Um, that, uh, yeah, his wife had uh, cancer and passed away. And so he... He uh, as he as he said many times, he didn't retire from acting. He just took a a hiatus, a fairly long hiatus, but a hiatus.
0: Well, and I mean, you know, having to take care of two two young kids and raise them on his own. That seems like a like a difficult enough task.
1: Yeah. And that's and that's like, again, that anti Hollywood somewhat beautiful story of like his wife passed away and he was like, all right, like I'm not going to make movies and I'm going to raise my kids and be a father and he i'm sure has done a wonderful job
0: yeah yeah i i imagine that that his kids grew up great and and that's one of the i i remember reading an interview about uh with him about his some of his uh future career plans and and the the phrase that he said i love it when the internet is wrong talking about his retirement yeah. just just because you know, you know it's very much he he seems like this he seems like a loner. He seems somebody who's very comfortable, you know, uh, in his own head with his own with his own thoughts. But he, he loves a good joke. He loves he loves getting the opportunity to, to to just get out there and play with ideas. But he is just as happy to do that on his own time by himself or release a couple of country albums, you know, just because.
1: Yeah, he doesn't give in to the pressure of like you need to be in Ghostbusters 3 because you're Rick Moranis and this is Ghostbusters 3 and he was like, "Nah, I'm okay."
0: <laughs> yeah. And you know, I I not when I when I think about it, I mean that that seems like the best choice for me. I don't I I have no particular interest in a new Ghostbusters movie. I which is which is to say, I don't think that we need a sequel to Ghostbusters 1 and 2. I think that narrative is largely done.
1: Yeah, and I think he even, his other point was that he didn't think Ghostbusters 2 was very good. <laughs> and, like, he liked Ghostbusters, didn't think Ghostbusters 2 was very good. So why is he going to do Ghostbusters 3? It seems to be getting worse. Like, what's the point?
0: <laughs> yeah, but the problem is Ghostbusters 2 gave me, like, one of my mantras. Like, stay fit, keep sharp, make good decisions. That's... That's a great line and a great thing to repeat to yourself when you're in a lousy situation.
1: Who says that in Ghostbusters 2? Rick Moranis does. Did you just quote something from a movie and I don't know what you're quoting?
0: Did yeah, that just it, happen? Yeah. Uh, he's, it's right before he gets on the bus with Slimer.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: Oh, I'm I, really proud of this moment.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. That you managed to quote an obs- a- a obscure line from a movie from my childhood that I did not know.
0: Oh, I'm going to revel on this a little bit.
1: We have to stop doing the podcast. It's over.
0: <laughs> that's, that's the, balance, bad, the
1: balance is totally thrown off now. This is it. This is the end of the style guide. It's game over, man.
0: No, You, you can make up for it by just saying something totally academic and inane.
1: Uh, I, I, I can't. <laughs> I can't be you. I can only be me.
0: Just like yeah. Rick Moranis can only be Rick Moranis.
1: But I mean, I guess I could say something about how, like, you know, obviously your mantra is from a, an obscure film because it was something you saw that that stuck with you. And stories create who we are.
0: There we go. That's that's close enough. We'll that's not steepo enough. <laughs> it, it'll do. It'll do.
1: Anyway, so yeah, he's an artist. He's an artist, and he's a good person. I think I've, I've never met him, but I assume he's a good person.
0: Well, and the fact that he's an artist makes some of his film choices it interesting because there are there are a lot of actors where if you pointed to them doing something like uh, I wouldn't say I will not say Spaceballs, but I will say like The Flintstones, yeah, um, sure, or or even Little Shop of Horrors, right? Where where those aren't roles where you really get to be an artist in, you know, the. Particularly, little shop of horrors. Horrors. You don't get to put your own flair on the character.
1: Yeah, not really.
0: You know he he plays Seymour well, but Perfectly. that's yeah, that's exactly what we expect of Seymour. There's not there's not much room for uh, fun-loving Rick Moranis in there. Yeah. And Barney Rubble, you, you wouldn't think that that someone would who who is so interested in the craft of acting. Or, or their their understanding of it would, would jump on the opportunity to play a cartoon character.
1: Yeah, and you know, I, I got to say actually something about The Flintstones that when I was rewatching it, I, I sort of uh, noted in my brain, was that I think Rick Moranis being in that film influenced the story and creation of that film. Because if I remember watching The Flintstones when I was a kid, <laughs> I don't remember... Fred being stupid and Barney being smart, like I don't remember that as being one of the 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 main points of that show is that is that what it was was that what it was
0: i mean i know I know there were times when when it fit for them to be, but i i I think you're right. I don't think he was an idiot,
1: yeah, they were both just like you know guys, and like that was the the and the joke was that they were in the stone Age. I don't think it was that Fred was that much stupider than Barney. At least that never, if that was it, it never registered with me as a child. But watching the, the movie, I was like, they're making Barney like a smart, nerdy friend. And Rick Moranis is playing him, which is exactly what we would expect Rick Moranis to kind of to play. So I, f- I wonder if they, once they had Rick Moranis cast for that role, they altered the story to fit that narrative of Fred being dumb and Barney being smart.
0: Well, as a matter of fact, I believe Rick Moranis was in the writer's room for that. He, I, don't, I don't think he, was, he got a writing credit on it, but he definitely was involved in that process somehow. So you can, you can see, I think you're right to point out, his influence on that movie. I mean, one of the first people that they considered for the character of Barney Rebel, Danny DeVito
1: that would have been a very different flintstones movie.
0: <laughs> I know. I mean at that point why not just cast Arnold Schwarzenegger as as Fred Flintstone and and just pick up that same cliche.
1: That might have been a great film. Uh Oh I the... I
0: I would have watched it, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's pretty fun.
0: But Danny uh, Danny DeVito would have been a very different take on Barney Rubble. Yeah. And can I can I just say is it not absolutely amazing the cast that they have for that movie?
1: Oh, it's it's an incredible cast. Like uh they had uh who what was her name playing Sh- uh Sharon Stone? Uh Halle Berry. Halle Berry playing Sharon Stone? Like the uh, Rosie O'Donnell was in that film? Uh uh John Goodman? John Goodman of course. And what's the name of the bad guy in that movie who's from Twin Peaks?
0: Oh, um uh, uh Kyle 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 Kyle.
1: <laughs> whatever his name is,, um,
0: yeah, Kyle, who was on Twin Peaks and Agents of Shield and whatever
1: yeah, uh, so like they had a huge amazing cast in that film, and the film itself was actually pretty fun to watch again when I watched it. i was actually I enjoyed it much better than I expected to
0: well, that's because they made a huge mistake with that movie it's What's not that? a it's not a kid's movie.
1: What do you mean? It's about it's about money embezzling and like. um,
0: (laughs) And at one point, you know, Fred might be about to cheat on his wife. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) And they're gonna they're gonna hang Fred and Barney at the end of the movie.
1: Well, I'm pretty sure that movie was made. uh, It was made in the 90s, and the original cartoon came out in like the 60s or something. So I'm pretty sure it was made for people that watched the original cartoon who are now grown up.
0: I I I think you're right, but it's weird to to imagine the way that they, or it's weird the way that they decided to do that, right? Because it is very clearly a children's property.
1: Yeah, with my very the, 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 altered to have a lot of adult themes.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and not adult themes in the way that you see in Pixar or something like that. The adult themes are on the nose and part there of the art. narrative <laughs> well yeah and and there are shots of Halle Berry swaying her hips and it the camera focuses on it and you're like this is I don't I don't want to have to explain that to my cousin if I'm watching this movie with them <laughs>
1: with I want your, to be like yeah
0: <laughs> then again
1: your, to your cousin
0: well I don't have kids <laughs> okay <laughs> okay that's I, why you said that yeah okay I'm not. I'm not throwing myself into the future, you know, where one day I'm going to have kids and I'm going to decide to show them the pinnacle of the 1990s, the Flintstones.
1: Yeah, true. <laughs> but yeah, like like uh, so, I think the Flintstones was influenced by having Rick Moranis play in it. Un- unlike Spaceballs, like Spaceballs, I I can't speak to what whether or not I think because it it the existing property for Spaceballs, they were spoofing anyway, so it was all a spoof. But the fact that he as uh, oh, his name's not Darth Vader and what's his name? Uh,
0: Lord Lord Dark Helmet.
1: Lord Helmet, yeah, that's right, yeah. Lord Helmet. Um, and that that sounds very much like Mel Brooks' comedy. Um, <laughs> a little uh, on the nose. The Schwartz, may the Schwartz be with you. But well, and, Lord,
0: and she's a a druish princess. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, and they're they're gonna cut off her nose, and you're like, oh, Mel Brooks, you. <laughs> Yeah, I, you <laughs> yeah. you you can do subtle, but you don't like to.
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't feel the need to do subtle. Um, <laughs> but in Spaceballs, where he he plays Rick Moranis still, right? Uh, and the joke is that he's his Lord Helmet, but then he takes off the helmet and it's just Rick Moranis. I think he's even wearing his glasses. Like they didn't they just left him. It's like as nerdy Rick Moranis from Ghostbusters. And I don't know, in that, I can't, I, I, I could have see Mel Brooks wanting that, and that's why he cast Rick Moranis in that role, as opposed to in The Flintstones, where, like, Rick Moranis got cast on the role, and then because it was Rick Moranis, it altered the outcome. I could see Mel Brooks wanting the outcome to be that he's this really nerdy guy inside this Lord Helmet outfit.
0: Yeah, yeah, Spaceballs feels like it's a Mel Brooks movie, uh, and, and all the characters feel like they're Mel Brooks characters, not... Nobody feels like they're particularly bringing bringing their own idea to it. It all yeah. feels very much uh, like that, which is which makes it actually really interesting that Rick Moranis actually approached Mel Brooks to do a sequel, and it was going to be Spaceballs three: The Search for Spaceballs two. Nice. And and he go, approached him with go, it. Go uh,
1: go Mel Brooks.
0: But it but Mel Brooks and him couldn't work it out, and so they ended up uh, never doing it. But
1: because Rick Moranis probably wanted to write a lot of it.
0: Well, you know they they haven't said why it was, but I I wouldn't be surprised if he had his own ideas and he wanted to bring it in. And Mel Brooks said, eh, I do Mel Brooks movies."
1: Yeah, you know, instead of speculating, I'm going to say that's what happened. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna be the guy who makes a decision <laughs> and starts starts the rumor uh, right here. You heard it here, everyone. Rick Moranis wanted to write it, and Mel Brooks said no. Huh. Only Mel Brooks could write Mel Brooks movies.
0: Really selfish of you, Mel Brooks. I mean, we we could have done with a sequel to Spaceballs. That would, actually, we still could. Yeah. Oh man, the timing is great as the new Star Wars is going to come out. I know the Schwartz Awakens. I uh, can <laughs> can can we pitch a movie to Mel Brooks? Is that something you and I can do?
1: No, we can't. If Rick Moranis can't, how could we? Okay, how could we? And I I don't like Mel Brooks movies. <laughs>
0: What are you talking? No, no, no! Take that back.
1: I don't like them. I don't like them. Have you tried to watch a Mel Brooks movie in the recent history?
0: Yeah, I watched Spaceballs this morning. I watched And I love it.
1: And you love it?
0: I yeah, I love it.
1: Like you don't you didn't look at it going like, oh Mel Brooks, your comedy's the worst. And like watch Robin Hood Prince, uh, prints men in tights. Robin Robin Hood men in tights is great. It's an absolutely terrible film. It is so hard to watch the terrible racist jokes and like uh, it, it's 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 uh, it's like a, a watching a, something a, a, a six year old would laugh at.
0: Dracula dead and loving it.
1: Yeah, you, terrible film. Oh, uh, I mean Leslie Nielsen keeps that movie alive. Same with Rick Moranis does great in Spaceballs. I I. Okay, we're getting into a new podcast here, so let's let's can we save can we do a Mel Brooks podcast?
0: Yeah, I'm just gonna save all of this rage, and we're gonna and we'll and
1: we you can we we can rip apart Mel Brooks later.
0: (laughs) Yeah, forcing you to rewatch Mel Brooks movies. I'm on board with that.
1: Yeah, Mel Brooks, master of subtlety. (laughs) (laughs) So back to Rick Moranis because I I we haven't talked about my favorite Rick Moranis movie yet.
0: Okay, let's do it.
1: And it's probably a movie that I'm—I'm going to guess—none of our listeners have even seen, because who knows of this movie? Which is My Blue Heaven.
0: My Blue Heaven. It's
1: a 1990 film starring Rick Moranis and Steve Martin.
0: It is. It is, and and
1: other—you know—John Cusack is in there as well. You know, but yeah. uh, but My Blue Heaven, uh, totally my favorite Rick Moranis film.
0: It is my second favorite Goodfellas movie. <laughs>
1: what? <laughs> What's your first favorite? Goodfellas. Oh, nice. Yes. Yeah. So, the, for those of you who don't know, My Blue Heaven. It, the, the story is Steve Martin is playing a, uh, a, a Italian mobster who gets put in the witness relocation program, and Rick Moranis is, of course, the nerdy FBI agent who is helping him, you know, stay under the radar to testify at these two trials. And they end up, you know, learning from each other and becoming really good friends and saving each other's lives. And it's this wonderful, fun buddy love story. And Rick Moranis is perfect in it. And it's totally a movie where I now that I know that he liked to write his own lines, I can see how he would have helped make that movie funnier.
0: Interestingly enough, that's another movie where uh where not Danny DeVito but Arnold Schwarzenegger was originally cast. <laughs> to play the role of Steve Martin. No, it wasn't. I yes. No way. It was originally, it was going to be Arnold in the role of Vinny and Steve Martin in the role of Barney.
1: Where do you get, you're just making this up. Oh my goodness, you're not making this up.
0: I'm not making it up.
1: Oh my goodness, Steve Martin was going to play Barney? Yep, nope. nope. yep. Oh my goodness. He. That would have been terrible. A very different movie. It would have been a bad movie. It would have been <laughs> a bad movie. I mean, you could probably say now that it's not a good movie, but it, nah, that would have made it a bad movie. Oh my goodness. I, my life is destroyed now.
0: Why is it destroyed?
1: I I I don't know how to, I can't not picture Arnold Schwarzenegger now as a mobster.
0: <laughs> Wait, has Arnold Schwarzenegger ever never played a mobster? I don't think so. Okay, well, I'm glad that he's back into acting cuz at some point he'll stumble into that role.
1: Yeah. A- anyway, okay, sorry. I'm going to get back on track here. And Right, uh, my blue heaven. My blue heaven is Rick Moranis playing the perfect Rick Moranis character. Uh, and actually, now that you've said that Steve Martin was originally going to play that role, I, I can authoritatively state that Rick Moranis being in that role changed a lot of what that role was. What does authoritatively mean? Does that mean I just made it up? Because <laughs> cause that's how I'm using that word.
0: <laughs> you know what? That's fine. We're gonna <laughs> it works. It works.
1: I'm using that word as if, like, authoritatively means I have invented the meaning. Because, <laughs> yeah, Rick Moranis in that role makes it makes it the nerdy FBI character.
0: Well, and I mean, knowing, I mean, honestly, knowing that they're based, uh, it and Goodfellas are based on the same source material, um, and like they're they are very different films. Yeah, and it it wouldn't surprise me if if Rick Moranis definitely had had his his fingers all over that script.
1: Mhm, And made it better. So here's my... Uh, here's here's Here we go. Pause it. Uh, not pause it. But but <laughs> like... You are positing. <laughs> yes, I'm going to... Not, not like, pause the, the the podcast. Everyone
0: everyone gets it.
1: Okay, pause it. Nicolas Cage is always the worst part of a Nicolas Cage movie. Rick Moranis is always the best part of a Rick Moranis movie. True or false?
0: True... Is he the best part of Ghostbusters?
1: Oh, good counter. Because <laughs> he's probably not the best part of Ghostbusters.
0: He might be the best part of Ghostbusters too.
1: No, not even. Not even. Because Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, uh, uh, um, the two different people that played Winston in the two different movies, uh, Sigourney Weaver, all of them are great. So, yeah, you're right. Okay, he's not always the best part of a Rick Moranis movie,
0: but I think that might be. Well, no, I mean, hmm. no. It's now that I look at it, it's not even remotely true. Because <laughs> I'm I'm gonna say John Goodman as Fred Flintstone. Was is better. Amaz- is, yeah, yeah, was
1: better than Rick Moranis as Barney. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I will. I will give you the, all of those. I will give you that. Yeah. I I. That. That was just. I was just trying to throw that out there. I was just trying to. You know, authoritatively. Um, make make a statement.
0: <laughs> that being said, Rick Moranis does make the movies he's in better by being Rick Moranis.
1: Ah, that is a much better way to phrase that. Rick Moranis makes the movie better. Nicolas Cage does not.
0: Yeah. Rick Moranis can even make a bad movie okay, whereas Nicolas Cage makes a good movie okay <laughs> instead of great.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, I see what you yeah, yeah. Like, Nicholas like, Cage takes it down a notch and Rick Moranis brings it up a notch.
0: Yeah. And probably my my best example of that is the the sports comedy film Little Giants starring uh, Rick Moranis fine. and Ed O'Neill.
1: How did we not talk about that in our sports movies?
0: Uh, I I know. I when I sat down to rewatch uh, Rick Moranis movies, I was blown away that I had forgotten this film which I know I saw it as a child, but I remembered almost all of it. Really? Very, very detailed. Like it, None it's, of the movie was surprising to me.
1: It's your Mighty Ducks 2?
0: It's my Mighty Ducks 2, which makes me sad because it is a terrible movie. Is it really that terrible?
1: Uh, I didn't rewatch it on this because uh, maybe I guess I knew better. <laughs> um.
0: well, well, I mean, like the premise is... Rick, Rick Moranis and Ed O'Neill are pl- playing brothers, one of them a football star and the other one a gas station attendant. And they both coach their own peewee football teams. And it is exactly every terrible cliche about a child sports movie that you would expect with none of the charm. Mm. And Ed O'Neill clearly hates himself for doing the film. Like, throughout the film, you can see it's just pulling teeth for him. And Rick Moranis just brings this kind of honest, earnest, I'm going to just, I'm going to be a dad who cares about his kid. And every scene he's in, you're just like, oh, that's touching.
1: it oh. that
0: touches my heart the way that he, and and it's his, uh, his wife ran away, l- leaving him with his daughter, and he raised her on his own, and he's just oh. doing the best he can
1: that is totally like what his real life was like at that moment
0: i know and that cuz during that movie his, his
1: wife as far as i know had passed away at that time uh and if she hadn't she was definitely very ill
0: and it that it just it's so perfect those scenes with him and then everything else is just garbage that is not worth your time but uh, just so wonderful
1: so it is like mighty ducks 2 but without uh what's his name not Emilio Estevez, but the kid, Joshua Jackson.
0: Right, because Joshua Jackson, well.
1: Because he's like the charming kid that we all like.
0: Yeah, because his daughter is supposed to be that character, but she fails because, I don't know.
1: She gets she, one-upped she... by Rick Moranis, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, and who doesn't, am I right?
1: To, yeah, who doesn't get one up by Rick Moranis? You know who Bill, doesn't? Bill Murray. Bill Murray, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You can't one up Bill Murray, Rick Moranis. Sorry,
0: Ghost Busting Groundhog Day and yeah. Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, Rick Moranis can one up anyone except for Bill Murray. That's that's a, that's just a, a universal truth. <laughs> okay, well, I feel like uh, we're getting into the later parts of his career here, which is when he's taken his hiatus, and what he ended up doing was essentially just voice work. Yeah. After After Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Which I'm surprised isn't the reason he took on hiatus, but I'm sure contributed to his hiatus. He has only done voice roles.
0: Yeah, and I confess I, I have never seen the Brother Bear movies. Um That's a
1: confession that most people can make.
0: Well, they don't they don't <laughs> seem very good.
1: Well, and Rick Moranis is not the largest part of those movies either, which is unfortunate. Like, he's not the main character or anything like that.
0: Okay, okay. Well, and it, is Dave Thomas in it as well?
1: Yeah, Dave Thomas plays another character in it, and they I think they play the Canadian Mooses.
0: Okay, so they're playing Bob and Doug.
1: And Joaquin Phoenix is the main character of the film.
0: <laughs> what a weird... I don't even... I don't know what to think of that. Yeah. That mm-hmm. movie made $250 million? Sure, it's a Disney movie. It's a Disney man, Dis, there was a dark chapter of the Disney period.
1: Yeah, uh it was a it was a Disney movie. Uh and the, the tag for the, the catchphrase on the uh poster was Nature Calls.
0: Is is the movie about pooping?
1: No, it's uh, as far as if I as far as I know it's about like a a young kid who has to go find like his spirit animal and like Find becomes He turns into a bear or something like that. Yeah, it's very similar to Brave. <laughs> I
0: was going to say, it seems like a mix between Brave and the Charmin commercials.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. It's a mix between Brave, toilet paper commercials, and uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay, so he, he at that point was probably a little bit broke and needed some money? Is
1: that? I don't know. Maybe. I, I think it was just it seemed like a fun movie to him. He got to come in and and play a a character with Dave Thomas and, like, be in a Disney film again and not have to, like, go on camera or do too much work. And I'm sure it was fun. And he had kids. He has kids, you know? Like, it's a Disney movie. Kids like Disney movies.
0: Well, I think his kids were were getting pretty into their teenage years. Ah, Maybe still youngish by then. Okay.
1: Yeah. And, like, the Brother Bear time when he did that was also when he recorded uh, the Agoraphobic Cowboy, his comedy album. And then uh, did the uh, Brother Bear two, which I think was less successful because it was a straight to DVD.
0: Okay, yeah. Well, and I, I do know that he he's he's talked about how he kind of has lost touch with all the the SCTV crew and and some of his his old friends from back in the day because he's not he's not in L.A. and he doesn't he doesn't live that life, and so it's hard to to stay in touch. And so I can imagine he would jump at the opportunity to, you know, you know, hang out with an old friend for a while. Yeah.
1: And, uh, and he he's claims he has not retired from acting. Even though he hasn't made any acting appearances since Brother Bear 2 in 2006, I think. Has he made any since then? Am, am I wrong? Is that...
0: uh, no, no. there He hasn't done any films, but, you know, which it's been 10 years since Brother Bear 2. So it's about time for him to come out of hibernation. See what I did there?
1: i see you made a Barry reference i did um, and i
0: you know what i i'm hoping i'm hoping he does i'm hoping
1: he pulls uh what for lack of a better term is a bill murray where bill murray did a lot of great comedy films when he was younger and then he kind of dropped off the planet for a while had like a little a few missing years in the middle where we don't know what he did like maybe he quit acting who knows what he did i think he made garfield and he was like i'm done um no, I don't uh, know. Made
0: Garfield 2 and then he was done.
1: I don't think it was Garfield that did. It. But like he 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 stopped making some movies for a while and then came back and all of a sudden came back as a very uh, as of what we what we now think of as Bill Murray, you know, that that sort of like defeated old guy. Um, Steve Zizou, you know, like uh like the Wes Andersonization of Bill. Well, Murray.
0: and I I think that even started prior with yeah, uh, Lost, Lost in translation. In, yeah,
1: Lost yeah. in Translation, where he's like this place the playing this very different kind of like subtle low low key yeah. comedy. And I think uh I think I would love it if that's how Rick Moranis makes his step back onto the screen. Where he comes back on as a very different, mature uh Rick Moranis no longer playing the nerdy Rick Moranis character but maybe some insightful thoughtful character and something that's more of a drama
0: well and I think the the director to do that would be Wes Anderson I I think that that doing a Bill Murray in that regard would be really cool I think you could you could see him having a lot of fun playing in in Wes Anderson's world
1: yeah or Tarantino <laughs> I just I just wanted to say that I I <laughs> Uh, authoritatively um i just wanted to say that. <laughs> i think it'd be pretty funny if he was in a uh, but no i think you're right like wes anderson would would make work wonders with uh rick Moranis.
0: well i mean regardless of what where he goes my i do hope that he does get back into acting he in even though i was sitting and watching an absolute ton of children's movies for for this week I I really enjoyed Rick Moranis on stage on the screen. He he is a pleasure to watch.
1: Yeah. He is he's very likable and he does make movies that he's in better. He is the best part of Brother Bear 2. <laughs> I guarantee it.
0: I you know what? I am going to claim that you are are the authority on that and <laughs> and take your word for it. And never watch Brother Bear 2. But I will tell other people that he was the best part of Brother Bear 2.
1: Yeah, you should. Uh, On my word.
0: On your word. Yeah. Authoritatively.
1: Yeah, I am the authority on Rick Moranis now.
0: Okay. Which means
1: I make things up about Rick Moranis, right? That's what it means.
0: (laughs) I'm going to buy you a dictionary for Christmas. It's going to be awfully exciting. Mm, Don't bother. Okay, well, um I think that brings us to the end of uh our exploration of Rick Moranis, unless I think there are so. any, any last thoughts that you wanna you wanna dive through.
1: Um I think we did uh, I think I, I covered my last thoughts there pretty much that I really do hope that he gets back into acting because I, I do I do I do I do appreciate and like the man that is Rick Moranis and I'd like to see him do more work.
0: I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. The only thing that I'll say is uh in reading the Wikipedia page for the Flintstones uh, the the one part of the the page that I really enjoyed was that the film has some notable differences from the cartoon series. <laughs> it talks <laughs> about how the kids are older and how yeah. Bam Bam is adopted. Yeah. And the last line there is, Barney is slightly taller in the film. And I think that that's profound. I think that it's profound that on Wikipedia they have commented on the fact that Rick Moranis is slightly taller than a comically sized small man From a cartoon in the seventies.
1: Huh.